0: you have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts, chapter 14, and I also want you to hold that spot and turn over to 1 Timothy, chapter 3. So I want you in two places today, Acts, chapter 14, and then uh, grab your note sheet or whatever and also stick it in 1 Timothy, chapter 3. Acts 14, 1 Timothy 3. Before we get to the word, uh, I wanted to just bring a a brief update. Uh, It was mentioned in prayer. Uh, Colleen Varela is still hospitalized. Uh, Many of you heard about that maybe on uh, Facebook or or, uh, I'm not sure that an email was sent out quite yet. Uh, It was to the prayer team. If you're on the prayer chain, you would have gotten an email. Colleen Varela uh, had bronchial bleeding again uh something that she's dealt with now for a couple years at least Uh, they do believe it's just an infection this time but she's still hospitalized on antibiotics Racist. she's stable uh and she's optimistic and and hopeful that she's going to be getting out soon but but anytime this happens we just want to lift up our people in prayer and i know too a couple other heavy hearts today uh with uh, matt and deborah the loss of matt's grandma and also Candace and, and Ryan and the loss of her mom. And she just got back uh, from those memorial services. And so I just want to uh, take a moment uh, to pray and to ask God to, uh, to bless us. So uh, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you because you are the one who can give us both healing and comfort when we need it. And, God, we're praying today for healing for Colleen Varela. She's battled this before, God. You know the struggles. And, uh, but, Father, it's, it's frustrating to be back in this same scenario, still not having super clear answers. So, God, would you just touch her body and heal her? I remember speaking just this weekend of a friend who you healed miraculously, God. And I pray that you'd do the same for Colleen. We know you can, God. You're the great physician. Would you just touch her body, heal her of this infection, give wisdom to the doctors as they treat her, get her home soon. We pray your comfort and peace upon Matt Bown and his family, Candice and Ryan and their family. It's hard to lose our loved ones, Father. But we trust you and we lean on you and we lean on the church who can lift us up and support us and encourage us in our times of need. So Lord, whatever we're going through, I pray, God, that we would feel your peace, your loving hand, and the graciousness of those around us, our brothers and sisters in Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. The title of my message today slightly different from the Bolton uh, title is a plurality of leadership in the church a plurality of leadership in the church just a, a a small two-part series this week and next on the concept of plurality of leaders in the church we need to define some terms here as we begin this study what is a plurality a plurality is um, many to find as many or a number of and so what we're saying there is that the bible speaks to uh, having multiple or many or a number of leaders in the church the design as god has set up his church is that it be led by a plurality of leaders and so we look today at some simple questions Questions that some of you are all too familiar with. But there are going to be some concepts within this that are probably going to be brand new to you and novel. And so for the things that you already are very familiar with, that's okay, hang in there. There are going to be some concepts soon that you'll look at again, perhaps for the first time, and think, I I never looked at it that way. So to begin... In this message, a plurality of leadership in the church, the first question I want to ask is, who is to lead the church? According to the scriptures, who is to lead the church? The Bible is really indelibly clear on this point. The church, the local church, each local church, is to be led by a plurality of elders. Elders. In Greek, there were two words that were used to describe elders. The first word on your outline there was presbyteros. Can you get an English word out of that? Presbyterian, that's correct. Uh, Presbyterian, the denomination of the Presbyterians uh, uh, marked that word and used it in the development of their denomination. Um, and then there's a second word that also can mean elder or overseer or bishop. It is the Greek word episkopos. Can you grab an English word from that? Episcopalian. And so you see there uh, some of the roots, some of the, the the fundamental roots behind some of the denominations of of this day and age that have been around now for centuries. Presbyteros is an adjective. It literally means old man. <laughs> So you elders out there, well, I won't go any further. Old man, one who is old, older than another, an elder. The same word was used to describe uh, the uh, eldest men in the Old Testament uh, uh, days of, of, from Moses through the times of the judges and the kings and all the way down. The elders of the city were considered the oldest men, the wisest men of the city. Um, In the New Testament, it's used some 15 times to refer to spiritual leaders in the church. Episkopos is a noun, and it also means elder or overseer or bishop. It can mean specifically to one who looks over or watches over, an overseer, a guardian of sorts. And it is used a little bit less or so, but four times in the New Testament to refer to spiritual leaders. These terms are used interchangeably. And there's a third term that we'll get to uh, in just a a few moments. But these these two words are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament to refer to elder or overseer or bishop. And they should be pretty much understood as synonyms with very few exceptions. In the New Testament, I want to run through these a little bit rapid fire here. In the New Testament... I wanted to demonstrate to us on paper, on your outline here, the development of elders as spiritual leaders in the church. The first mention of elders in the New Testament in terms of the spiritual leaders of the church is in Acts 11, verse 30, uh, the elders of the church at Antioch. And then we come to Acts 14. I believe you have that in your Bible there. Acts 14. Uh, Let's go to beginning in verse 21 of Acts chapter 14 if you have your Bible. And when they, that is Paul and Barnabas, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, so when they had appointed elders in every church, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas uh, going about the work of seeing to it that, that every church had elders. In Acts 15 and 16, there are a number of instances where the elders of the church in Jerusalem are mentioned in high esteem. In Acts 20, the elders or the overseers of Ephesus are indicated. In Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy write a letter and they address that letter to the elders or uh, the bishops um, and the deacons at Philippi. 1 Timothy 5, Paul speaks of elders at the church of Ephesus. Titus 1, Paul tells Titus, appoint elders in every city or in every church, that is to say. In James 5, when you are sick, James urges you, go talk to the elders. When you are very ill, call for the elders of the church. You know, you think of hospital visits. I went to uh, see Colleen the other day. Um, some people think of a of a visit of a pastor or an elder of a church as just kind of just something that is culturally appropriate. No, it's... Biblically appropriate. James 5 says, hey, when you're when you're seriously ill, call for the elders, call for the leaders of the church to come to pray for you. First Peter 5, Peter's, uh, Peter has a charge or an admonition to the elders, the overseers, and in and later on in, in that same chapter he urges the younger to submit themselves to the elders. I want you to notice in every single one of these instances, every single one. The term elder is in the plural. In every single instance that I've shown you here. In fact, the, the only exceptions in the New Testament where elder is singled out in, in, in singular form is when they're talking about the criteria of becoming an elder or when a single elder like John, the Apostle John, is addressing himself in Second in, uh, John and Third John in your Bibles, toward the end of your Bibles. The only times the singular is used is when we're addressing criteria of an elder or secondly, when the elder is talking about himself. I, John, the elder. Every other instance of the use of presbyteros or episkopos is in the plural. And that's significant. What it tells us, according to George Knight, is this, quote, every church on your outline, every church in which leadership is referred to in Asia Minor under Paul and his associates or under Peter's ministry has a plurality of leadership. Every church in the New Testament. Every single one. That's significant. And that's something that should guide our understanding about leadership in the church Another question, how were elders selected? Well, we just read Acts fourteen 23. It, We'll read it again. It says, so when they, that is Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Later on in Titus 1, we also uh, reference that um, in the section above there where Paul urged Titus. He was writing a letter to Titus and he told him specifically appoint elders in every city, which is to say in every church. The New Testament doesn't have a directive. In other words, Paul or Peter or John or Jesus, for that matter, they don't say, this is how you select elders, you do it this way. But there's narrative examples like these ones, these two. Narrative examples, story examples, in which it is indicated how the elders were chosen. You, you could make a case that Paul is uh, commanding Titus, but Titus specifically. But the general pattern of the New Testament is that elders were appointed, appointed by already recognized leaders in the church. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, already recognized for their leadership, they appointed Titus in Titus 1 6 he says you already have 1 5 you already have a recognized leadership role I want you to then go out and appoint further elders it's a narratival example and it's one that that we would probably do well to follow here at Coast um, the elders do appoint other elders but then we also have the church ratify that decision so we the elders among us or when we gather and we consider new, new elders in the church, we'll nominate or appoint a man, so to speak, to come and to participate uh, in the duties and, and the meetings and the responsibilities of an elder, but then we will also urge the church to rally behind that decision and to, vo- to have a vote of confirmation on that man as we lay hands on him for ministry. What about the qualifications uh, for an elder? Now this is not something I'm going to spend a lot of time on. I've given you the the two main verses and this is something that most of you are very familiar with. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, uh, also in uh, in Titus chapter 1, those are the two primary passages in the New Testament that speak of the criteria of an elder. I'm not going to go and read them in their entirety. Suffice to say this on your outline toward the bottom. Every criterion of an elder pertains to matters of, write this down, character. Every criterion of an elder pertains to matters of character except one, the ability to teach. And so it seems that God is primarily concerned that these men live the gospel. Every criterion of an elder pertains to matters of character except one, the ability to teach. It seems that God is primarily concerned that these men live the gospel as opposed to be uh, exceedingly skilled in teaching. Paul to Timothy mentions that the elders are to be able to teach. Paul to Titus says that the elders are to have the ability to exhort and convict and, and bring about discipleship in the church. But of all the qualities, as you read those two scriptures, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, of all the qualities, of all the characteristics of what it takes to be an elder in the church of God, every single one of them listed are character qualities. God is so much more concerned about who you are than about your winsome abilities Paul uh, Paul and and the Lord is more concerned about what is inside you as you model the Christian life than he is about how adept you are at certain skill sets at the same time there is an admonition also in first Timothy 5 22 not to lay hands on anyone hastily You see that at the bottom of page one don't lay hands on anyone hastily in other words. The elders are, are to appoint elders in every city. They're to bring them before the church. They're to make sure they fit the criterion, criterion that is mainly concerned with character, the character of the man. And that, that that man, whoever he is, he's not to be a novice, he's not to be young in the faith. Paul says, don't lay hands on a man hastily. Don't commission someone. Don't deploy someone to the work of the ministry in a hasty manner. Be prudent, be wise. Think it through. Opening up your outline now to the second page on the inside. What is the job of an elder? What is the job of an elder? The job of an elder right there at the top is simply this, to shepherd the church of God. To shepherd the church of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. One of the most... A wonderful of all narratives in the New Testament. This is where Paul is gathering together the church at Ephesus. He's gathering together the elders. He knows he awaits certain tribulation and potential death as he leaves Ephesus and goes to Jerusalem. He he, He knows he faces arrest. He knows he faces great tribulation and hardship. And with tears in his eyes, he says this to the elders at the church in Ephesus. Acts 20, 28. He says... Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Paul's words to them there, his admonition, his command to them is that they shepherd the church of God. The Greek word there is poimeno, a verb. It means to to tend like a shepherd to rule, to lead them. Lead the church of God among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And then Peter, a little bit later on in the New Testament, Peter says some of the exact same words. It's fascinating how much the Holy Spirit inspired these men to use similar terminology as they spoke to the churches. First Peter 5, verses 1 to 3, Peter writes, The elders who are among you, I exhort... I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Shepherd the flock, Paul writes, Acts twenty, twenty-eight. Shepherd the flock, Peter writes. 1 Peter 5, verse 2. Same word, shepherd, a verb, poimeno in Greek. Lead the church. Rule the church. But do so in a manner of a shepherd as he leads his flock. What's interesting about the use of this Greek verb, poimeno, is it's noun form, its root form. The noun, which is counterpart to poimeno, is the Greek noun poimen, poimen on your outline there. It means shepherd. And there are a number of instances in the New Testament of this Greek word poimen, the noun poimen, some 17 times in the New Testament where it's used. But only once, only once is it translated something different than, than shepherd, In the 16 other instances, it's shepherd, 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 literally a shepherd. Jesus speaking in the parables about a shepherd. Or Paul talking about how a shepherd leads his sheep. But here is one instance, the the only instance, in which poimen is translated differently. And it's in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. Paul writes, And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, some evangelists, and some poymen, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In Christian evangelical circles, the term pastor is commonplace, very commonplace. Here, we're in 21st century Western America and we... The term pastor is something that we're so familiar with. Even go out on the streets and ask somebody, what's a pastor? They'd be able to tell you what a pastor is. Everyone knows what a pastor is. Every church has a pastor. And it's generally understood that, generally understood that the pastor is the leader of the church. But what's fascinating about this phenomenon, what's fascinating about the verb poimeno, Shepherd the flock. And the noun poimen, pastors. What's fascinating about it is that they are juxtaposed in a way that we probably haven't realized before. On your outline where it says pastor versus elder, write this down. Ephesians 4.11 is the only place, the only place in the New Testament where the Greek word poimen or shepherd is translated pastor. Pastor. Okay, we've already covered that. Ephesians 4.11 is the only place in the New Testament where the Greek word poimen or shepherd is translated pastor. Here's where it gets interesting. Number two, poimen describes the gifting or the office of a pastor in accordance with Ephesians 4.11 while its verbal counterpart, poimeno, describes the chief duty of an elder. I'll say that again. Poimen describes the gifting or the office of a pastor, while its verbal counterpart, poimeno, describes the chief duty of an elder. So we have a conclusion to make then. Based on the simple use of this root word in Greek, here's a conclusion that we can say. Number three, therefore, God's expectations of a pastor and an elder is exactly the same. Exactly the same. Both are to shepherd the church. Both are to shepherd the church. God's expectations of a pastor and an elder are exactly the same. Should be are exactly the same to you grammarians out there. Does that mean that a pastor uh, and an elder are exactly the same thing? No, doesn't mean that. We'll talk about a few distinguishing marks between the two in just a moment. But before I go any further, I want to stay with this concept of poimeno, shepherding. It's, it's the office and the gifting of a pastor to shepherd. It's the, the chief duty of an elder to poimeno, to shepherd. And so we need to talk about what does this even mean? What does it mean to shepherd the church of God? What does it mean to shepherd the church of God? On your outline, bottom left, number one, it means to lead and make important decisions on behalf of the church. To lead and make important decisions on behalf of Of the church. In Acts 15, I've given you an example there of Acts 15. In Acts 15, if you were to turn there, we would find a a scenario in which Paul is returning back to the elders of the church in Jerusalem with some questions. He's gone out to ministry, he's gone off on some missionary journeys, and he's encountered some difficult questions with relationship to. theology and how they understand uh, what things they're supposed to do now that they're no longer under the law and, and now that they're new, new individuals in Christ. Do they, do they need to follow circumcision? Do they need to go back to the law? Do they need to eat certain foods or abstain from certain foods? And Paul comes back to the elders. The Apostle Paul comes to the elders of the church in Jerusalem and he reaches out to them to make, that they might make a wise decision, render a wise decision on behalf of the church as to what they should do with respect to these theological questions. Later in Acts 16, 4, in fact, I want you to read it. Turn to Acts 16. Acts 16, verse 4. They render judgment and they send out, uh, the elders do, they send out men to the various cities. And this is what it, what it says in Acts 16, verse 4. And it says, and as they went through the cities, these men delivered to them, the churches, the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So Paul went back, he deferred to the elders, they rendered decision, and they took that decision to the church, to the churches. A part of shepherding, as a shepherd leads his flock to water, is to lead and make important decisions on behalf of the church. In 1 Timothy, I asked you to keep your spot in 1st Timothy and we'll be turning there more significantly in just a moment but in 1st Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 Paul writes, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. In other words the notion of them ruling is a given. The notion of an elder ruling is, or leading is a given. And, and Paul's noting that those who rule well will be especially honored. A second meaning behind the, the notion of what does it mean to shepherd a church, number two on your outline, bottom left. What does it mean to shepherd? It means to commission and deploy people to the work of the ministry, to commission and deploy people to the work of the ministry. As you look a little bit further up on your outline again at at Ephesians chapter 4, it's interesting what Paul has to say about those offices, what he has to say about the apostles, the prophets, uh, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers. He says those five offices, offices that that God has given to the church in, in a leadership capacity, he says those five giftings, those five offices are given to the church. Read what it says. On Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, poems, and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Paul says those five offices, those five gifts in the church were given that the people, the flock, might be equipped, trained, discipled, prepared. We talk at Coast, uh, the second point of our our vision statement is to prepare, prepare a loving spirit-led family. That prepare there in our vision statement on the front of your bulletin, that prepare there is the same idea in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. An elder, the group of elders, the plurality of elders in a local church are men who are to commission people, who are to deploy people. We might add, train people to the work of the ministry. A third reason, a third uh, meaning behind the notion of shepherding the church is that these men are to pray, And teach the word and sound doctrine. The elders are to pray and teach the word and sound doctrine. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the apostles are, are are dealing with a situation where they're they're having a number of physical problems in the church. There were many widows, there were many orphans, there were many people who had physical needs. And the apostles were looking upon these needs and, and they were overwhelmed by them. They were trying to be men of, 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 uh, who focused on the spiritual matters of the church and yet there were so many physical needs that it was drawing, them, drawing their attention away from some of their more primary duties. And so what did they do? They appointed deacons to... Both men and women. They appointed deacons. In that case, excuse me, they appointed seven men. Later on in the New Testament, uh, deaconesses were also appointed. Both men and women were appointed to care for the physical needs of the church. And the elders, the apostles, then went back. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, it says they focused continually on prayer and the ministry of the word. An elder's role as a shepherd is to pray and to teach the word and sound doctrine. When elders get too caught up in physical matters of the church, you can be sure that that is a distraction from their more primary duties. And that is why in larger churches, uh, deacons are set up. Now, it's interesting. I do say the term larger churches for good reason because if you notice in in first timothy chapter three this is just a little aside here in first timothy chapter three when paul writes to timothy he's writing to the church of ephesus ephesus was a very large church ephesus was a very mature church ephesus had a number of people in it and when he wrote to the church in ephesus he he gave two offices he said I want elders and I want deacons in this church. And he gave criteria for what it took to be an elder, what it took to be a deacon. But when Paul wrote to Titus in Crete, in Titus 1, he only mentions one office. He only says, I want you to appoint elders. Why? Most likely, we can only speculate, but the most likely reason is that the church was either newer and more immature or it was smaller and it was not needed in that setting that there be uh, deacons because the physical needs of the church were not so significant. And so it's interesting that in 1 Timothy 3 you see the office of elder and deacon whereas in Titus 1 you only see elder addressed. That's a really fascinating phenomenon and it happens also in other letters in the New Testament, something to take note of. I think uh, personally that uh, having deacons in a church is, is a very, very wise decision, regardless of size. We currently do not have deacons here at Coast. We've had them in the past. Uh, I know that the elders uh, have very much been considering that for the future. Uh, it's something that we're still in, in talks about and you can pray about to, to determine, are we large enough to warrant that kind of, a, of an office, that kind of a ministry? Either way... People serve as deacons unwittingly, or aside from a, a formal office. Women in this church, in particular, I have blessed many with meals. I know uh, Candace and Ryan this past couple weeks were blessed with meals from those in the church. Uh, maybe maybe a man cooked. I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't see the list. Scott, did you cook? C- can you cook, Scott? Yes. You can. Okay. Good. <laughs> bacon. That's right. We know you can cook bacon. <laughs> I don't know if that's a ministry, though, Scott, to cook bacon. That uh, might be. It depends on who you ask, yes. Now, one other passage of Scripture I wanted to really zero in on, on this concept of praying and teaching the Word. Turn to 1 Timothy 5. Here we go. I ask you to, to stay there, and here's why. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 and 18. 1 Timothy 5. Seventeen and eighteen, Paul writes to Timothy, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Paul tells Timothy that the elders who rule well should be counted worthy of double honor. In order to double something, there has to be something there in the first place. If I, were to, if I were to have you open up your wallet or your purse and I were to walk up to you and i say, open up your wallet and you open it up, you open up your purse, you open it up and there was nothing in there. And if I looked at that and I said to you, I'm going to double everything you have in there, would you be excited? Not really. You'd be kind of bummed that you didn't have anything in there. But conversely, if I were to come up to you and you were to open up your wallet or purse and you had a $50 bill sitting right there, and I looked at it and I pointed at it and said, I'm going to double what you've got right there. Would you be excited? Yeah. You just went from $50 to $100. You just doubled your money. When Paul speaks in 1 Timothy 5.17 of elders who are worthy of double honor, he's already assuming that there's something there to double. When Paul says that the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, he implies that there's honor already to be had. He is implying that to be an elder in and of itself is to be in a place of honor in the church. On your outline in the top right corner there, uh, letter A, all elders are to be honored according to the apostle Paul and Peter. All elders are to be honored. In 1 Timothy 5:19 a couple of verses later, uh, Paul says, "Don't receive an accusation against an elder except for, from two or three witnesses." The reason for that is he says the elders are to be honored They're to be recognized, and and, and there there can't just be someone who walks in willy-nilly in the church and says, I have an accusation against this person. Paul says, these are the kind of leaders of men who we are going to give the benefit of the doubt to as much as we're able to. He says, accusations against these kinds of men should only be heard on the basis of two or three witnesses. And then he goes on, uh, Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, he says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there, there again is, a, is an attitude of deference to the elders. Elders, the office of an elder, their leadership capacity is to be honored and recognized. But beyond honor that is already due the elders... Paul says something else in 1 Timothy 5.17. He says the elders who rule well are to be doubly honored. On your outline there, letter B. The elders who rule or lead well are to be doubly honored. Remember, all elders are to lead. Their duty is poimeno, to shepherd the church. And shepherding involves leading a flock. So all elders are to lead But the elders who lead or rule well are to be counted worthy of double honor. And then there's another subset of this. The last part of verse 17 in 1 Timothy 5. He says, not only uh, should we doubly honor the elders who rule well, but especially those who labor in the word and doctrine now he goes to a third category so he says all elders are to be honored that's implicit in the text the elders who rule well are to be doubly honored and then the, the third part there letter c an even greater honor on your outline an even greater honor should be given to those who labor in the word and doctrine and even greater honor should be given to those who labor in the word and doctrine Usually when I'm having you fill, fill out a, 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 a sheet on your outline there, I'm, I'm picking key words, you know, I, I, substantive words. You might notice on letter C there that I had you fill in the word those. Those? Why would you have us fill in a pronoun? Well, I have a question for you. What group of people does the pronoun those refer to? Who? The elders. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those elders who labor in the word and doctrine. It refers to elders. Who shepherds the church? Elders. Who leads the church? Elders. Who Preaches and teaches the word and doctrine. The pastor? No. The elders. I shouldn't have said no. We can say yes, the pastor does. But primarily, the elders do. Who shepherds the church? The elders. Who leads the church? The elders. Who preaches and teaches the word and sound doctrine? The elders do. Now, 1 Timothy 5:17 that the latter part of it suggests that there will arise certain elders who will be especially adept and who will devote special labor to the ministry of the word. But make no mistake, whether we're talking about leading or shepherding or teaching the church, all of those duties, and not merely the du- are, they are not merely the duties of one man, of one pastor, but of a plurality of men, of many elders. And 1 Timothy 5.17 also very much implies that the primary preachers and teachers in a church should also be appointed as elders in the church. Make no mistake. A church whose primary teacher is not an elder is really a church that's missing the boat on 1 Timothy 5.17. Or to put it in another way, a pastor of a church should also be an elder. I believe that's the New Testament example. Here at Coast, uh, the pastor is an elder. I am an elder of the church. Um, and that is in keeping with First Timothy 5.17. I'm not an old man. I'm not a presbyteros. At least I don't think I am. Some of you think I am. I look, Scott, I look like I am. Thank you, Scott. I'm not a Presbyteros, I'm not an old man. But in keeping with the spirit of, the, of, of an individual in the church who is primarily tasked with preaching and teaching the word and sound doctrine, Paul says those elders are to be worthy of special honor. Remember, though, God's expectations of a pastor and an elder is exactly the same. Exactly the same. Both are to shepherd the church. Both are to lead the church. Both are to teach the church. A pastor's goals are also an elder's goals. The similarities of roles and tasks of a pastor and of an elder, they far outweigh any difference between them. But if we are to identify a distinguishing factor between what it means to be a pastor and versus an elder, it would be this on your outline. How is a, a pastor elder unique from maybe simply an elder? How is a pastor elder unique from an elder? Number one, spiritual giftedness. A pastor, in accordance with Ephesians four eleven, is gifted with spiritually gifted with the gift of pastoring or shepherding. And in some understandings of that text, the terms pastor-teacher are to be considered a hybrid. Some understand that gift as one and the same. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor-teacher. Others separate the two. I myself don't have a very strong opinion on that matter. I think you can read it either way in the Greek. But regardless, the point is this. A pastor-elder is someone who is uniquely spiritually gifted with the the spiritual gift of shepherding, of appointment, of pastoring, of teaching. And secondly, how is a pastor elder unique from an elder? We might say according to 1 Timothy 5.17 that they devote extra labors, devotion, study, in teaching the word and sound doctrine Note this, and it's usually made possible by the honor that is provided them by the church. We've been talking about honor. You say, well, what's this honor? It, Paul says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And let those who uh, minister the word and sound doctrine be especially honored. What is this honor? Well, I think that it's, it's clear from the New Testament that honor comes in terms of respect. Respect comes in terms of deference in recognition that this is a, a specially qualified elder in the church. We do that here at Coast um, oftentimes by nominating a chairman. Now, Lou Gutierrez is our chairman of the board. We put him in a special place of honor. He takes on additional duties. He meets with me more often than the other elders do. We, we gather together uh, on a more concerted effort we, he spends more hours than perhaps others. Not, not always, but in, in in some cases, certain elders spend more hours than others in, in leading or conducting the, the work of the church. So we honor them, we respect them. But a second means of honoring is compensation. And that's what's mentioned in verse 18. Read verse 18. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer is worthy of of his wages. Churches in evangelical Christian circles generally choose to compensate their pastor elders. I know of some churches, uh, some Grace Brethren churches, that will more subtly compensate a group of elders where there's no primary pastor elder, but a group of elders who receive small contributions from the church for their spiritual ministry to the church. Here at Coast, uh, we compensate, Uh, myself as a pastor elder, we do not compensate the other elders uh, monetarily, but we honor them through respect, extra respect and honor. The Greek word there, by the way, in labors is uh, kapio. It means to work hard, to labor, to, to even grow weary in teaching the word. Paul says those elders who labor in the word and doctrine, they're worthy of special honor. In, this, in, in certain cases, compensation. But this doesn't mean that the pastor elder is somehow preeminent over the other elders. Not at all. Timothy was likely a pastor elder. Yet if you'll notice in First Timothy, jump back one chapter, chapter 4, verse 14, notice what it says. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 14, start in verse 12, he says, Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give attention to reading, the word, to exhortation, to doctrine. He's speaking there to a pastor or elder. And then he says this in verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. In other words, Paul says, you go back to the very ones in your church who commissioned you, who laid hands on you, who put their seal of approval on you and commissioned you and deployed you to the work of the ministry. Paul was telling Timothy, a pastor elder, to go back to the elders and show deference to them. Come under them. Be right alongside them, not over them, and not necessarily beneath them, but walk hand in hand with the elders who commissioned and deployed you. We're going to have a little hard stop here in this two-part series. Next week, I want to ask the question, why a plurality? We didn't answer that yet. We said, why biblically? we showed precedents for plurality but next week i want to briefly examine the question why is it good that there be a plurality of elders and why is it good that there be a plurality of pastor elders so these and more questions we'll look at again uh, next week but for now know this the elders of the church are the men to whom God has told us, all of us, to respect and to honor. They are tasked with shepherding the church, pastoring it, leading it, teaching it. Some will rise up as more excellent leaders. Others will rise up as uh, more skilled at teaching and preaching. But regardless, we look upon these men with deference and uh, we we show them honor as they carry out the work of the Lord and deploy all of us to the work of the ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for uh, this time in your word. I thank you for the structure of the church. God, you, you laid it out in your word quite clearly. And your wisdom, Lord, is shown in the pages of Scripture as Paul and Peter and John and Timothy and Titus went about strengthening the churches that were around them, that they were not led by one magnetic, charismatic figure upon whom the whole church rested and idolized, but rather, God, that you structured it in such a way that the church would be led by a plurality of leaders, plurality of elders, those with different skills, but who are all focused on pastoring, leading, and teaching the church in the word and sound doctrine. I thank you for Coast and for our our experience of elders. I pray that you'd guide these men, help us to continue to honor them. Those who rule well, let us doubly honor. And those who labor in word and sound doctrine, Let us also honor, Father. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the leadership of our church. Would you use our leaders to deploy us to the work of the ministry? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.